place it comfortably. Morning everyone. I just say at the beginning, um, I woke up this morning with a, a splitting headache, which is getting a bit better as the day goes on, but um, it has impacted on my uh, thinking processes a bit, I think, so we'll see how we go. But anyway, the um, title of this talk today is called The Satori Disaster. And it's a word which I, or a phrase, which I found in um, um, Hubert Benoit's book, The Light of Zen in the West. And those of you who may not be familiar with our background of our practice, um, Hubert Benoit was <clears throat> a doctor uh, who was quite seriously wounded, I think in the First World War, and then, then he was in a hospital for many, many years, lying on his back. And he didn't, he um, wasn't a conventional Zen practitioner. Like he didn't study in a temple in Japan or anything like that or do session. He just came to the same experience outside of the tradition. But he had nothing else to do but to lie flat down and not being able to move in a hospital bed for quite, quite a long period of time in convalescence. And he, there was some serious injury um, he did to himself and he could no longer be a physician, which was his role as a doctor and ended up training as a psychiatrist. Probably became more interested in the mind, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, and he had a great influence on um, my teacher, Joko Beck, who read his books over and over again until the pages fell out. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and I can see that influence in, in her work. Um, but so the Satori disaster, he refers to it as, and some of the themes through this talk, they, they sound like Christian themes in some ways, but faith and hope um, and charity and obedience. Mm -hmm. And we'll look at some of those terms as we mean them within a Zen context. But coming back to Satori, Satori is the term which is used in Zen to... Um, which means a, a, usually a, a sudden kind of insight experience and an experience into no self, of sort of bursting the bubble of the ego identity in a way. And uh, um, people who don't understand the experience of Zen training and the nature of the experience think it's just some kind of, um, you know, wonderful happy ever after kind of experience where all your problems go away and it's kind of an elated experience. Well, it can have a, a sense of liberation to it, um, but, but it also can have the experience, have the sense of, um, do you know when, when you've been puzzling over a, a problem or whatever and then, then you finally get it and you go, oh, duh, yeah? <laughs> Well, Satori experience can be like, that's kind of odd, you know, like I thought the world was like this for so long, it's actually like this, and how come I hadn't seen it? Right? So it's, it's that kind of experience. And, uh, but sometimes Zen practice happens with those sudden little insights, and sometimes it's just a gradual demystifying of life, um, doesn't matter which form it takes. But let me quote to you from um, Dr. Herbert Benoit to give you an idea of the, the Satori disaster. Zen invites us to engage in work, which right up until the moment of Satori 
only seems to be taking us downwards. In a sense, everything gradually gets worse until the bottom is reached, where there is, where there is nowhere else to go, sorry, where there is nothing else to go wrong, and where everything is, uh, I can't read my own writing here, while there is nothing else to go wrong, and where everything is found, because everything is lost. And um, what he's pointing to is that um, just in simple language, when we're, when we're born as a human being, we're just, we, we have an energy inside of us, emotional energy, physical energy, mental energy, but there's kind of just a, an energy which is in our experience. And you could say that that just raw energy is what you could for, refer to as the Buddha nature. You know, it's just a kind of a formless energy there and it takes us through our life. And um, for some reason as we grow up, um, we start to, um, instead of just being with that formless energy and letting it just take us where it naturally will through life, in terms of surviving and building and having relationships and so on, something happens along the way where we start to, our imaginations take over and our thinking takes over and we start to, um, it, we, we start to listen more to our thinking and our imagination than we, than we do to actual real life reality in each moment, each present moment experience. And as we identify with that thinking um, and that imagination, um, as time goes on, that creates what we refer to in Zen as the kind of the, the ego, the egocentric way of being, you know, the self-centered dream. And we go through life, most people go through life being caught up in that, that sort of um, imaginative film, that, that thinking process and believe it to be true and follow it rather than being anchored in life as it is. And so as we go through life, um, there's that energy inside of us that's just moving around and doing what it needs to do. But it gets dissipated so much when uh, we believe in our imaginative world and I should say maybe a better word to use that fantasy world, not our imaginative world. Imagination can be a creative thing. Fantasy world mm -hmm. and thinking. And, and as we live in that more and more, um, we, our energy engages with emotions and roller coasters and up and downs, you know, and trying to get something and fear losing something. And so we either have this trajectory through the world where, which is sort of egocentric, you know, we were looking for admiration, you know, and good things happening to us and all things going my way and so on. And that creates the roller coaster, you know, because we're, we're kind of, there's an energy just sort of driving us. And the energy drives us into these, these strong emotional experiences. And it's kind of like we're, it's like the delusion of um, self progress, that we're going to progress and progress and things are going to get better. That's the kind of hope in it. And um, so we either do it in an egocentric way but we can also do it in an altruistic way or so-called altruistic way too and we can see the, 
we can see the folly of being egocentric, but then we, we follow the folly of dr driven altruism. Mm -hmm. If I become, you know, full of religious fervor or whatever, that I'm going to progress in some kind of spiritual way up to heaven, you know, or through progressive stages of consciousness to nirvana or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's still a, a drivenness, it's still a kind of a, it's still a deluded state of mind. Mm -hmm. Because it's driven by what the ego is going to get for itself. Mm -hmm. And the nature of Zen practice is simply, um, this is where faith comes in, in the sense we mean it in, in Zen training. F faith is not about um, believing in something in that conventional religious sense of the word. You know, it's, it's not about believing in an idea or a concept, but it is about um, it is about a, a faith in um, a faith in this sort of primary energy which is within us. You know, and people can call that Buddha nature or God or you know the ground of being. Doesn't matter what you call it. But Zen practice is, does coming back to this first principle that there is a principle in there. It's just the way nature works through us and as a faith that that's fundamental and if we if we're true to that that natural energy within us then then things move along okay you know in harmony um, but what happens when we get caught up in that drivenness that ego drivenness is that we're, we're in a sense we've lost faith with our with our true nature like it's not we don't really trust it you know, and we get caught up in the fantasy and the thinking rather than the, the natural way of being. And so um, that, that becomes our trajectory through life. So faith is about, not in a principle or a God or anything like that, but there is a faith in Zen. Do you know, do you know the um, Shinjin Mei, which we recite, faith in mind? It's not, it's not faith in a doctrine of mind. Um, having these conversations with um, Tom, Tom Fisher in our Melbourne Zen group when I was last down there and Tom is a Chinese scholar and um, Tom was doing his head in trying to work out how, you know, the Chinese translates into faith and it just doesn't seem right because Zen is not about faith because it's not this, this sort of, um, it's not this believing in something, it isn't a believing in something. Um, you, you're closer to your own energy. You are your own energy. Mm -hmm. you, it's there inside of you. It's kind of, you can't describe what it is. It's kind of formless. It's empty, but there's an energy in us. And um, it's about just coming back to that, having faith in that fundamental present moment experience that we all have if we just stop and be present with it. But we don't. We get caught up in the thinking and the fantasy and the emotions that it creates and off we go and we're out of touch with ourselves. So there's faith as we understand it in that sense in Zen practice. And then with hope, um, uh, as Hubert Benoit says, we, we actually through Zen practice we get to a point um, 
where we no longer hope anymore. And that's not the kind of despairing position it might appear to be. And what he's saying, which you, if you reflect on your own experience, I can certainly bear it out and understand it through my own experience of life and times of disappointment and so on, or feelings of despair, that um, people who are disillusioned and despairing are actually full of hope. It's just that the world hasn't fulfilled their hope. They're full of hope. So in that sense, hoping, 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 having this optimistic expectation that everything's going to work out okay, actually creates a form of suffering. And Zen practice is about having no hope. Because if you have no hope, as he says, do you know, um, everything gradually gets worse until the bottom is reached, where there's nothing else to go wrong, and where everything is found because everything is lost. Mm-hmm. So it's seeing through the hope, you know, um, instead of being driven by the hope. And the hope is always about the future, really, isn't it? It's not about the present moment, it's about the future, you know, about what, what will be. Mm-hmm. Hoping it'll be okay. And then, which brings us into um, charity. You know, so that if we do come back to our fundamental sense of being, you know, just the, the energy within us that just comes and goes, and we're in touch with that rather than the egocentric kind of driven stuff, then there's a, what opens up is a, um, a charity not to particular things but to everything. Everything becomes interesting. Everything is... Everything that presents us to to us in life is kind of interesting. It's just what is. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense of generosity um, to what is, rather than this um, holding on, pushing away kind of dynamic that usually runs our life. And obedience is that when, when we um, give up that kind of false hope, you know, and we... We um, just stay true to present moment reality and present moment experience. Then, in a sense, we we become obedient not to a person or an idea, but we become obedient to life as it is, the way the way things are, and it's just the way things are which um, forms our kind of direction through life, rather than the, the fantasy and the and the thinking. So when we spend a day like this in sitting or just in everyday life, what we're doing differently to what people ordinarily do in life is most people are just ruminating, fantasizing, following their fantasies and so on, and we do it too. But when we actually really dedicate time to practice and follow that through in everyday life, the energy's there inside of us, right? And like we have no, we have no control over the energy or what it's like. It's just there. Mm -hmm. Um, But what we're doing in zazen, if we're we're sitting mindfully, uh, is the energy is there, but the energy's not getting dissipated into thinking and fantasy. 
So it's kind of like, um, as Hubert Benoit says, it's kind of like a, a healthy kind of pressure is growing up in there, mm -hmm. building up in there rather than just being dissipated out all the time. And it's a bit of a silly metaphor, but he says it's like collecting gunpowder. You know, instead of dissipating, you collect the gunpowder and then it's eventually it explodes, you know, and the, the egocentricity just kind of pops. But that's what we're doing. We're here with the, sitting here with the energy inside of us and because we're practicing mindfulness with it, instead of the energy dissipating into fantasy and thinking, we're just allowing the energy to be the energy. Mm -hmm. And you have no control over it. It just is life going through you. Mm -hmm. And that's what we become true to um, in every moment of, of sitting, you know, and then trying to apply that in our everyday life. And it's through that, it's through that experience of um, doing that over and over again, you know, through daily sitting, you know, Zazenkai session, you know, following it through mindfully in the every little day acts of life, like making a cup of tea in the morning. The more we, more we do that, um, something, somewhere in the line, along the line, um, starts to shift within us. Mm -hmm. And um, at some unconscious level, it's not a conscious thing, but at some unconscious level, something's transforming in ourselves if we're practicing like that day after day, year after year. And somewhere along the line, sometimes it's gradual and sometimes it's sudden and sometimes it's a bit of both, but something pops. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, something pops and we really, we really see through that um, ego structure much more clearly you know, and it doesn't drive us as much. That's really what our, our practice is all about.